KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. I remember my words exactly. Boom, there's just this huge explosion and, and shrapnel and everything coming into the... And um, I just said, oh my God, no. And I think embodied in that was the fact, oh, no, hey, it's happening to me. Welcome to My First Day, exploring stories of those who've come to San Diego from elsewhere and now call it home. My name's Andrew Bracken. Alongside his wife, Kathy, and new baby girl, Captain Jack Ench came to San Diego like many non-native San Diegans do, to serve in the military. The war in Vietnam was quickly ramping up, and he was eager to complete his training as a naval aviator and join the fight. Here is Captain Jack Ench telling the story of... My first day. It was mid-January of 1966. I had just finished uh, my basic flight training down in Pensacola and uh, Naval Air Station Glencoe, Georgia, and received my wings. Then we took a, a trip through Illinois on our way out to San Diego. I recall that, uh, of course, January in Illinois was uh, snowy and blustery and, uh, you know, miserable winter as usual. I'd never been here before. I had read about it and knew very little about it. Never been to California before. And uh, I can remember we driving out, uh, coming across Route 8 there, uh, and coming through Imperial Valley and saw all the desert and everything like that. I thought, oh my goodness. And then uh, we drove on through the pass and all the rocks and everything as you come through the mountains. And we thought, wow, this is pretty cool. You got, we just saw some desert, now we're in some mountains. And then we opened up into the, uh, the valley coming across uh, eight there. We distinctly remembered, wow, look at that at the time. Mission Valley had dairy farms in it, and there were, you know, we were kind of used to come from Illinois. We knew what cows were, <laughs> and uh, so well, look at there. We've got a, we got dairy farms right down here in the, almost the heart of the city, if you will. There was no shopping centers or anything like that in, the, in Mission Valley at the time, so it was, uh, it was kind of country living down there. And I can remember driving on the freeways here, especially uh, we've looked and my God, look at how many how big these freeways are, it's six, seven lanes or whatever, five. And uh, we were wondering, why, why do they need such big highways out here? It didn't seem like there was that much traffic. And uh, now projecting forward, now I know why they needed them. I was due to report to my squadron, training squadron for F-4 training in, uh, at NAS Miramar at the time. We checked into a, a little hotel motel right there at the corner of 395 and um, Claremont Mesa Boulevard. And it had a, a big domed theater or something next to it where they used to put on uh, stage plays and, and musicals and stuff like that, I think. I was just trying to figure out, it's on a map, and okay, uh, NES Miramar is right out this road like that. And we drove by and I said, well, let's, let's just stop here. It's close. And uh, I don't have to worry about getting lost <laughs> And being late to report for duty, you don't want to do that. Back then, uh, from Claremont Mesa out to the main gate of Miramar, was it was nothing. I mean, it was just sagebrush and and uh, jackrabbits and rattlesnakes. Miramar Road, 
was just a little two-lane, looks like they had just paved wherever the goat walked. They just paved it, and that made, that made Miramar Road. We had a, you know, we had a young child at the time, so we, you know, we were kind of restricted as what we could do. But if I recall, we got here at the end of a week or the midweek sometime, and I had to report in next Monday. So we had a few days that we could explore a little bit. And so we drove around and went to see the ocean. You know, the first time we'd seen the ocean being landlocked cornfields of Illinois. You know, we were just uh, mesmerized by the, you know, the beauty of it and, uh, you know, the vastness of it. It was uh, kind of uh, awe-inspiring to see, you know, here we are looking at the Pacific Ocean, for crying out loud. We went down there and watched one of the sunsets when it was, uh, you know, and beautiful, beautiful sunset. I can remember that was one of our first impressions of how beautiful the ocean can be. What had brought him all the way to the Pacific Ocean was a chance encounter he had back in college at Illinois State. While studying to be a high school English teacher and wrestling coach, Jack saw some men in sharp naval uniforms and talked to them about aviation. His interest was piqued, and he ended up enlisting. This idea of flying kind of, you know, got in my head, and I thought, well, you know, it's four-year commitment. Let's just go do that. I'm going to do that for four years, and then we'll, we'll get out and we'll continue. My wife's a teacher, too. She's an elementary school teacher. So I joined. And uh, at that time, uh, when I was going through uh, uh, aviation candidate uh, officer's training, just before my commission, lo and behold, the Vietnam War broke out. After a quick, intense training at NAS Miramar, he left for his first tour in Vietnam. Before his time in Vietnam was over, he would experience the ultimate highs and lows of war. First, though, he had to get used to combat. Uh, they would break in by flying missions more down south in support of the, of the troops down there because there wasn't that much uh, anti-aircraft fire or missiles and everything there. I get well, there's a certain exhilaration to it. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know who, somebody made some quote about Nothing more exciting than getting shot at and missed, you know. It was the same thing, you know. You're you're an intense, uh, and the first time uh, I ever saw uh, any aircraft fire trying to shoot us down, you know, that was an eye opener. Then when you got moved up north and flying against the at that time the most heavily defended air to air defenses in the in the world. Uh, that really got your attention, because then every time you went over the beach, you knew that you were going to be shot at. But you had to, to put that in the mind, you compartmentalize, get the job done, and then get the hell out of there and get back at the ship and as soon as you can. If you start dwelling on it and worrying about, oh my God, it's going to be me, it's going to be me, uh, you know, you'd never go in and get your job done. Once you get in the cockpit and the, and the, the canopy closes, okay, this, this is our office, this is business. And you, you leave the, uh, okay, uh, I had an argument with my wife this morning when I left, no. You put all that stuff behind you, you just take, concentrate on the job at hand, and then once you get back and land and get out of the cockpit, then okay, the rest of those world's woes can come back and you can worry about them at the time. But at the time, you just put that out of your mind, concentrate on what you're doing, and then worry about it when you get back. While in Vietnam, Jack and his pilot shot down two enemy MiG fighters, leading to multiple awards and a surprising reunion 40 years after the fight. 
I mean, this is the uh, the highlight of uh, of uh, fighter aviation to to be able to engage in a dogfight against an enemy aircraft. I mean, that's what you train for, and you know that's the Super Bowl of of uh, your training. And so I remember that distinctly. Uh, and May 23rd, 1972, up near Kep, we engaged six MiGs and managed to keep getting shot down. Shot down two of them ourselves, my pilot and I. And uh, the second kill was was off of our wingman's tail. One was coming in on him, and we managed to shoot that MiG off him before he shot our wingman down. So, yeah, I can remember that. Matter of fact, last April... I was back in Vietnam for the first time since I came home, and we had a meeting with 16 North Vietnamese pilots that we flew against in the war. So I got to meet one of the six pilots that we, we fought, and we talked it out 44 years after the fight, and we both remembered it just like it was yesterday. Exactly, I was here. That was me. We did this. I was up, and we just we just talked about it, uh, talked through the fight, just as if it was happened yesterday. In aviation, there's no hatred or anything like that. You're you're fighting another airplane and trying to survive, and he's trying to survive. So, uh, and aviators around the world are pretty much the same. I mean, you know, they're it's it's a certain mindset and. and attitude that uh, I think most aviators share, no matter who, what country they're in. And it was the same with them. There was no animosity. It was just, hey, uh, you know, let's bygones be bygones. In the air, you're, you're trying to fight the other airplane, and uh, you, you know, you admi admire the, the person in the other airplane for the way they uh, maneuver and all that stuff. It's skill against skill. Well, it turns out that he's a, he's a retired colonel. I'm a retired captain. That's the same rank, you know, in their service. So we're both. He's a colonel, I'm a captain. I have three daughters. He had three daughters. I have five grandchildren. He has seven grandchildren. So, you know, at the outside of the arena, if you will, we really lead normal lives. You know, we're, he's a loving father and grandfather, and as I am. And uh, so there was kind of an ironic parallel there that both of us retired at the same rank. Both of us uh, were married and had three daughters. And, and I, I laughed to him. I said, well, I beat you in the air, but you beat me in the grandchildren department. And he laughed and he said, yeah, well, that's true. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was a very rewarding uh, experience. Throughout all the combat that he saw, then-Lieutenant Jack Ench avoided thinking about being shot down by the enemy as much as possible and he almost made it to the end of the war unscathed. It was intense, but, uh, you know, the more you did it, the, the, the uh, better you got at it. And, uh, and the, so you kind of took an attitude that, uh, you know, it's, it's always going to be the other guy. It's not going to be me that gets shot down. And so that worked for me for four cruises and 285 combat missions before finally it was me. We were taken under fire by several uh, surface-to-air missile batteries, and we had actually outmaneuvered several of them. And uh, I was watching one of them go behind us harm harmlessly, 
and uh, operating uh, the uh, electronic gear on the panel down here like that. Had my hand up in the handhold, keeping myself up in the seats from the G's we were pulling. And then all of a sudden, the one that we didn't see blew up right over the canopies and everything came crashing down on top of the F-4 uh, aircraft that we were flying in. I remember my words exactly, boom, and just this huge explosion and, and shrapnel and everything coming into the, and um, I just said, oh my God, no. And I think you know, embodied in that was the fact, oh, no, hey, it's happening to me. So, no, you're not expecting it. I mean, it was a total surprise because I thought we had successfully evaded the threat when one you didn't see came up and blew up. So that was it. You know, well, immediately uh, after after it happened, uh, you know, we were, my pilot was uh, severely injured and we must have been going the last time I remember, airspeed was about 400 knots. And we were going down about a 30 degree angle. And uh, so the training kicked right in like that. I, I yelled up through our microphone system, the intercom system, said, Mike, can we get to the water? Can we get to the water? Hopefully that we could, if we were close enough that he could steer us out and we could have to eject out over the water, the chances of getting picked up. And uh, I looked forward and saw him kind of slump forward in his seat and realized that he was no longer flying that airplane. So automatically I reached down with my good hand and, and uh, reached down between my legs to the alternate ejection handle and ejected us both from the airplane just before it could crash. Next thing I know, I'm hanging in my chute and uh, people on the ground are shooting at me and I land on a rice paddy and they come and strip me down to my, all my equipment. And the next thing I know, I'm in the Hanoi Hilton waiting to be interrogated for three and a half days. Uh, no medical attention, no nothing. Both elbows were dislocated in the high-speed ejection. The hand was damaged when the uh, missile went off with the shrapnel and the shards of the canopy and everything. So it was partially severed. But they let me lay for three and a half days with two... Uh, two uh, dislocated elbows uh, and a shoulder and a bloody stump of a left of a thumb. So then they took me out and chopped my thumb off and set my, partially set my arm. They didn't do a good job on this one. And, uh, and took me back and then 30 days later, I ended up in, uh, in a group of another POWs out of isolation. So, uh, and then once I got in with the other guys, you know, they, they nursed me back to health and uh, the rest of it was, you know, mundane, day-to-day, uh, -day, hoping that we were, the war would end soon. And Well, because because I was so badly injured, I couldn't use my hands. I couldn't make a radio contact. I, you know, you have your survival radio in your vest, and what you want to do immediately is you can, as soon as you can, is broadcast out to say, hey, you know, Lieutenant Jack Inch, uh, I'm hanging in my shoot, I'm alive and well. You know, don't forget me. So you want to get your name out so that they know that you are a POW. Well, I couldn't make any anything like that. So our wingmen saw two shoots. That's all they saw were two shoots. They saw shoots, so they knew that at least the bodies were out of the airplane. So somebody ejected us. Uh, but uh, so Kathy, for 
from August till December, three and a half, four months, whatever it was, uh, I was listed as missing in action, MIA. So she had no idea whether I had survived or not. And so finally in December of that year of 72, through some means that uh, I, you know, I'm not privy to, uh, my name got out and um, confirmed that I was in fact a POW and they changed my status from MIA to POW. She and the girls, she didn't want to be here in San Diego alone that Christmas. So she took the girls and went back to Illinois with, to her folks' place. And the Navy called her at home that year and said that uh, they had confirmation and said he's a POW and POW. So that was her Christmas present that year. <laughs> service life, especially in the Navy uh, on, on uh, deployments, but all the services, it's tough on a family. I mean, uh, you know, my wife Kathy, to you know, her, her credit, what a marvelous woman she is to be able to, you know, she was holding down the fort back here while I was over there and and raising three kids. And uh, yeah, well, when I was shot down here, she was became a prisoner of war. Here she had three children, ranged from seven to about two month, two years old, and uh, she, you know, held things together and and waited for me to come back, so uh, it couldn't have done without her. Finally, the war ended, and on March 29th, 1973, he began his journey home. They flew us out of Hanoi and uh, over to Clark Air Force Base, where they, we got out of our, our Vietnamese go-home clothes, and uh, they outfitted us with our, uh, our uniforms, service uniforms, and gave us uh, immediate medical attention that anybody needed at that time. And then um, loaded us up on the 141s and flew us back home to the United States. And I returned to San Diego, or San Diego at uh, Miramar. Kathy and the girls and my mother were there waiting for me. That was pretty cool. Good memories. After his return, Captain Jack Ench went on to have a long, illustrious naval career, serving a variety of posts, including as executive officer of the famed Top Gun School. Along the way, he accrued a long list of awards, Navy Cross and POW Medal among them. Once he retired from the Navy, he worked with the San Diego Padres in military relations, helping come up with the idea of the camouflage jerseys that they're so known for. Despite all of his accomplishments, though, you can still hear a little bit of the self-proclaimed cornfield kid from Southern Illinois as he looks back on his life. The POW experience was a part of my life. It wasn't the end of my life. You know what I mean? And I went on to do other things. I came back and I had a full career. I had my own fighter squadron. I had command of a couple air stations. I, uh, you know, I, my three daughters, all college. One of them's a PhD. Uh, the other one's got an MBA. And uh, they're all successful, solid citizens making their way in the life. I've got five grandkids. My wife and I have been married for 53 years. So those, you know, those kind of accomplishments, I think, are real tangible accomplishments. The POW thing was, it, it, it happened, uh, and the MIG, MIG engagement, uh, whether I like it or not, I'm part of naval aviation history. So when I'm asked to do something in that respect, I feel almost an obligation to do it carrying on for those who didn't come back. 
Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online also at kpbs.org slash myfirstday. My name is Andrew Bracken. My First Day was produced by me with music by Chris Curtis, Corey Gray, and Rafe. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is programming coordinator, Nate John is innovation specialist, Jill Linder is programming manager, and John Decker is director of programming. See you next time. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.